Right, we're carrying on with our series. For those of you who are not regulars here, we've been teaching through the book of First Peter for some months now, and we're working through script, uh, verse for verse and a couple of verses a, a Sunday morning. Two weeks ago, Ed spoke about uh, the humility of a shepherd and the, and the responsibilities of leader within the church body as Peter was writing himself a true shepherd. If you think about it, one of the last recorded conversations that we have between Jesus and one of his disciples was with Peter in which he said to him, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I do love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And he repeated that three times. The Lord imparted a, a real shepherd's heart to Peter who was quite a brash man in his day. And Ed spoke very powerfully about the fact that leaders need to have that shepherding heart first and foremost, that we lead for people, we don't lead people for ourselves, and that it needs to be done with love and humility. And then Johnny last week spoke about humility as we respond to leadership, and that interaction that we have, would we support one another and submit to one another within the church community. It's very biblical to submit to one another. If you look at teachings on marriage and family, it doesn't say wives just submit to your husbands, it says we should submit to one another, we should love one another and care for one another. And the body of Christ functions the best when everybody's able to do their part effectively because they're supported by the other people. And so Johnny spoke about the humility we need to have when we are being led and the fact that uh, Jesus himself was meek and humble and referred to himself as being meek and humble. This morning we're going to look at 1 Peter, and I've got my bag up here to try and raise my tablet a little bit higher. It's the, it's the curse of wearing bifocals. you sometimes in focus and sometimes out of focus. So if I bend over a little bit to try and get the focus right, forgive me, it comes with age. Um, but it's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, a short scripture that says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Now, this brief passage contains two instructions, and they're followed immediately by two promises. The first instruction is that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and it talks about us humbling ourselves. When this was written, the overall uh, title we've given to this series in 1 Peter is Living Well in Difficult Times, because Peter's writing to a church that's being persecuted, physically persecuted, persecuted in their business lives and in every way. And when we're being persecuted or when we're living in an environment that is not conducive to what we believe, it's a good opportunity to practice humility. And God puts us frequently in situations where we need to humble ourselves. Think about the last time that you chose to walk away from an argument without having to have the last word. Think about the time that you turn back angry words towards you with kindness. Think about times that you humbled yourself in a situation where people were pushing for recognition. That's what the Lord is looking for for us to do. People that are not prepared to humble themselves are proud people, and pride is a difficult thing because pride leads to um, a difficulty to be taught. It leads to people being offended easily. Proud people are offended very easily, and offended people don't think straight. Think about it. When you're offended, your judgment is bent. You're coming from a place of hurt, you're coming from a place of anger, you're coming from a place of resentment, and you're not, and I need to say this at the very beginning, when we're looking at these instructions that Peter's giving us, and today's a very encouraging one, because we're going to get onto the fact that we can cast our anxiety onto Jesus and he will lift us up, but God's working in our lives, and these exhortations aren't just to make our lives easy. 
if we live our lives according to the teachings of the Bible, if we live our lives according to God's word, many things that we would struggle with in other circumstances will be better, but it won't be pain-free because God's first priority is our effectivity in the kingdom of God. It's not just our feeling good. And so he wants us to be people that are able to be effective in ministry because we are humble. And the best example I could find of that is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, um, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And I always want people to place the Sermon on the Mount in the right context. If you go and read in the book of Luke chapter 6, it talks about the fact that Jesus spent the night praying to God. In the morning, he got up and he appointed his 12 apostles. He began to prepare his disciples and the structure of his ministry team for the work that they would do. And then it says they were on a high place, and it says, turning to his disciples, he said. And he begins the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not just a general teaching, although all of us can learn something from it. This is a teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, given to those who were deciding to follow Jesus, those who were deciding to be part of his body, the people that were going to represent him to the earth. And he says things to them that are quite difficult. He says, for example, in verse 27 of Luke chapter 6, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you, and everyone ta- if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. This is not reasonable. This is asking for people to be truly humble, and it's expecting people to actually walk away from things that they could win, to walk in humility. Goes on to say in verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. What is Jesus doing here? He's preparing his disciples for a time that they're going to go with him from town to town, from village to village, and he's going to preach and do signs and wonders, and people are going to be attracted to him, and they are going to look up to these people that are with him as being people who are an example of the consequence of being with Jesus. Can you imagine what things would have been like if the disciples were a bunch of arrogant, proud people who came into communities ordering people around, showing a a, a total lack of concern for the well-being of people? It would have been counterproductive to what God was intending to do and it would have not made them pleasant people to be around so before he even takes them out on the road to start this ministry he says this is what I expect of you in terms of your character and if you want to put that into one little sentence it's humble yourself humble yourself he wants them to understand that because he is with them they don't need to push for position they don't need to push for recognition they don't need to push for anything they're working with him and for him They can be humble and still achieve what they need to achieve. You know, we sometimes wrongly equate people who are aggressive with people who are strong. And people who are arrogant with people that are powerful. Do you know who the Bible calls the meekest of men? Moses. Now this is a guy who split the Red Sea. Well, God did it through him. Who through the power of God brought water from rocks who led the children of Israel for years and years through the wilderness. This is a powerful man who had to lead a whole nation. And the Bible talks about him as the meekest of men. He didn't feel he needed any time to implant or to impose his personality, his strength, his ability. He walked in obedience to God, humbled himself in the sight of the Lord, and God empowered him to do the things that he needed. 
And he remained someone that was approachable and loving and caring. If you read Moses' life story, there was a time when his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam began to speak against him and God punished them. And Moses comes along and says, please don't do that. He speaks to God on their behalf. He was a meek and gentle and kind man, although he was an incredibly strong leader. And the disciples are exhorted to protect and to provide through Jesus Christ, not to their own strength. I just want to say this about humbling yourself. It's better to humble yourself than to be humbled. I heard someone say one day, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Don't make him humble you. You wouldn't like that experience. Now, our Lord is not vindictive, but sometimes he allows people to go through a humbling process. And while we're talking about the disciples and about Peter, let's look at him personally. We took communion tonight and we spoke about the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, Jesus was talking to his disciples and they began once again to say how much they loved him. And Peter, typically of his personality, was the one who wanted to make people think he loved Jesus most of all. And he said, I will go with you even to jail. I will even die with you. I'm the guy that really cares about you. Now we know where that ended. Do you think that Jesus knew that was going to happen? He could have taken Peter aside and said, Peter, come, come over here, mate. If you say this, this is going to happen next, and this is going to happen next, and then you're going to deny me there. He warns him, he says, you're going to deny me, but he lets him carry on because Peter needed that humbling experience. If you see Peter after he has denied Christ, after he has run away, after he has burst into tears and been humiliated by his behavior, he's a different person. He was humbled by the circumstances that Jesus allowed to take place in his life better that he had humbled himself before. So when it says humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, I think it's an instruction that is in our best interest to take. Otherwise, lovingly, he will allow us to be humble to be more effective in his kingdom. So the first instruction is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Take away your own need to be justified, your own need to be made righteous. And then it says this, the first promise, in the right time he will exalt you. When we find it hardest to humble ourselves, even before unjust treatment, we need to trust that when it's right, God will lift us up. He fully knows the right time in terms of his kingdom plan. And I made a note here that in the right time, God will lift us up. And that's in his right time. My right time to be lifted up, I'd like it now, Lord. I'd like it every morning, every evening. It's not really his plan. We humble ourselves, and when the time is there that we need to be lifted up and to be empowered and to move in his power and his authority, he will lift us up at the time that is most effective. And there's a really good example of this. If we look at our disciples that we picked up on the Sermon on the Mount, and they're being told, let people slap you through the face and offer the other cheek. Let people take your coat and you give them your shirt as well. Let people take loans from you and not pay you back. They're being told, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. When were they ever lifted up? Well, second chapter of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them and go out with great authority and power out into the same groups of people that had humiliated them, and they begin to operate with great authority. And the consequence of that and of Peter standing up in great authority. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were accepted that day. Think about this. The church started with a sermon from Peter, backed up by the disciples who were praising God with great power, miraculously. 
Think about all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount. If these had been known as a group of arrogant, self-seeking, horrible people, would they have had the same ability to preach as they had at this moment? If Peter's own personality of being brash and forceful had been been allowed to be the way that he served God, would he have had the ability to stand up and persuade people to listen to him? They humbled themselves in the sight of the Lord for the time of ministry, for those three years of being alone, being sometimes persecuted, being sent out of towns. And at the right time, he exalted them with his power and his ability to what end? To the end of 3,000 people getting saved, the church being born and the gospel going out. Was it great for them? Do you think it was good to be a disciple at Pentecost? Oh, yeah. I think so. I think that when God moves through you supernaturally and powerfully, it's very, very exciting. It's wonderfully encouraging. It's a wonderful thing. But it's not about us feeling good. It's about God being able to use us for more and more. 3,000 people came into the kingdom because they were exalted at the right time, at the right place. God had it planned. And that's something that I need to remind myself because sometimes I don't always think of the consequences of what I want. And, and, and it, it just underlines that need to always remember that exhortation to humble ourselves. My daughter goes to Holy Trinity Brompton where you would know Nicky Gumbel is the pastor, the guy that started the Alpha Course. He's a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And he shared with them the other day that he was riding his bicycle in London and a cab driver began to drive in a way that irritated him. And so it became a bit of a competition to get between traffic lights and zip through the traffic. And there was a bit of aggression in the way Nicky was riding his bicycle until he pulled up at a traffic light. The cab pulled up next to him. The window went down and the guy said, Nicky, do the right thing. I'm halfway through Alpha. And it reminded me of a time that I've shared with you before when I was at Luton Airport, just after they brought in those booms, and you, you never used to be able to drop somebody off for nothing. And then they suddenly put these booms in, and you had to throw the right coinage in, and I never knew those booms, and then I dropped a friend off one morning, was driving to get out, and suddenly there was this boom in front of me, and I didn't have change in my pocket, so I was trying to reverse out of the way to let other cars pass me, and there was a taxi driver behind me, and when I went backwards, he came forwards and hooted at me. After a little while, I became impatient. And I got out of my car and invited him to come across and bring his hooter with him, and we could decide what we were going to do with that. And at that moment, Sandra stopped talking to me for the next day. That was the first consequence. But I just thought, oh, Lord, let there be nobody from the church or my school here. Because that was not humble. That was not forgiving. That was, not, that was just the flesh coming out and saying, how dare you? Do this to me. Who do you think you are to treat me in this way? The pride, the self-seeking, the offense all came out. And I was shouting at a guy in a car. I pray none of you were there. But I went to church. It wasn't, I wasn't in this church at that time. But I went to church for the next couple of weeks looking around thinking, is there anybody here who was at Newton Airport that morning? If Peter had been, if the disciples had been people who were not humbled, God would not have been able to lift them up in the same way. But when he does lift us up, he does it in powerful ways and prepares us for the next step in his kingdom. The second instruction that we have, we've had one instruction and a promise that comes with it. The second instruction is, cast your anxiety on him for he cares for you. I have to confess this is an area where I struggle. I'm a warrior, but not with an A. I worry. I do a lot of worrying at midnight. 
waking up. And, and, I, and I wrestled with this, and I asked the Lord to help me with anxiety, because anxiety actually makes us less effective. It makes us aggressive. It makes us make bad decisions. And I, I just remembered a joke that I heard. hope you don't mind. Time for a little light entertainment. But there's an area in South Africa called the Karoo, and when you drive through it, you sometimes drive for many miles not seeing anything, especially at night time. There's a stretch between a place called Langsburg and Beaufort West of about 200 kilometers where there's nothing, and nothing grows about that high everywhere. And there's a story told about a guy traveling through there one night, and his car began to shake and rumble, and he realized he had a flat tire, so he pulled over to the curb, not the curb, to the side of the road, which is in the middle of the bush. There's no curb there. There's just rocks and bush got out and saw that he had a flat tire, went to the boot of his car, found that he had a spare tire, but he never had a jack. So he looked, and there, way in the distance, was a little flickering pinprick of light. He realized there was a farmhouse over there somewhere. So he thought, well, the only thing I can do if I don't want to be here all night, because little traffic at that time of night, is to walk to the farmhouse and see if I can borrow a jack. As he walked along, he became anxious, and he thought, what if he hasn't got a jack? And he walked with that worry for a while and became more anxious. Then he thought, what if he won't lend me his jack? But he carried on walking and the light got a little bit bigger. And then he thought, what if he tells me off for not having a jack? What if he's rude to me and points out that I should have a jack? And what am I doing on the road at this time of night without a jack in the middle of nowhere? By the time he got to the farmhouse door, he knocked on the door. The farmer opened the door. He said to him, you can keep your jack. You don't know me. <laughs> and he walked off. And that's what anxiety can do to us. It can make us totally unreasonable. And we get to choose, do we hold on to that anxiety and feed it, or do we cast it onto Jesus? And it's interesting, the word that's used here is the same word that's used when they cast their cloaks on the back of the donkey for Jesus to ride. It's an act of throwing away, it's, it's putting it on Jesus. It's not, it doesn't say shrug off your anxiety. It doesn't say shrug off and, and, and pretend you don't have it. It says cast all your anxiety on him. Actively put it on Jesus and leave it there. Make a decision to leave it there. And I know I struggle with that, but it's something that the promise goes on to tell us. The second promise is this. It says, for he cares for you. And I went to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 and to 34 and read this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And then this verse here, which ties into today so well. So do not worry, saying, what shall we wear? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is not a scripture that says, don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about what you eat. You don't need those things. You can run around naked and hungry. It's fine. It says, don't worry about these things because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's actually saying to us, we get the cart before the horse. We say this, Lord, if you will provide for me a place to stay, food to eat, clothes to wear, a salary, a car, and all these things, when I have these things, I will feel safe enough 
to put you first and to serve you. Whereas basically this scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. Do those things first, because that's the easy part for God, the provision side of things. We sometimes find it easy to believe that God can help us. Sometimes I think we find it hard to believe that he wants to, because we think that we haven't earned it. We think that our problem is too small. We think that it's not something that he would notice. This scripture says, cast all your anxiety, all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. It's not a case of saying, there are no giants in my life. It's saying that I know that God can take down those giants. It's not a case of saying, I have no weaknesses, I have no shortcomings. It's saying that I can hand those to God and he can take care of my weaknesses and my shortcomings. You know, so much about pride is being self-sufficient. I need no one. I can provide, I can look after myself. And when we become incapacitated in any way in our ability to do that, we become anxious, we become fearful. And all of our life's focus goes onto those things that we need. The scripture says, Cast your burdens onto him because he cares for you. And the example I found when I was just thinking about it was Jesus in the boat with the disciples. We talk about it often. When, when they woke him up, they went to him and said, wake up, we're going to drown. And he said to them, peace be still. And he said to them, you little faith. He's saying to them, the fact that I'm in the boat is enough. Cast your cares on me. Sometimes I need to say this. We need to be careful because sometimes when we seek to put our anxiety, I'm just trying to get the right word, to seek to put our anxiety on Jesus. We seek the calmness that comes from Jesus. We seek it as the result of a solution to the problem. I don't know if you know what I'm saying, but we have a problem and we say, I'll be at peace when God solves the problem. He says, be at peace and I'll solve the problem. Our peace in him, the casting of anxiety on him is not reliant on us seeing the fulfillment of that at that time. It's saying, I'm going through a really tough time. Tomorrow doesn't look good. Jesus is with me, and he cares for me, and I can cast this anxiety on him. And no matter what I'm going through and how long I go through it, he will be with me and will protect me and will sustain me and give me the strength to get through this so that I can have the peace from the anxiety before I have the solution to the problem. I find this little scripture that we've looked at this morning to be a very encouraging one, but also a very challenging one, and that suits me because I always like to encourage and challenge at the same time. So my encouragement for you is, he really loves you. He really cares about you. He knows what you're going through. He will lift you up in the right time. Why? Because he loves you, but also because he doesn't waste his resources and he wants you to be effective in the kingdom of God. He cares. Cast your anxiety on him. My challenge to you, exactly the same thing. Cast your anxiety on him. Allow him to have that place in your life where you say, my provision, my protection is not to the stuff that I see that I have and I hold. It's to the person that I serve. I've got Jesus in the boat with me. I can cast my burdens on him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you care for us. Thank you that you know about those things that other people don't. Thank you that you know about the things that we're embarrassed by or that we lack or that we fear and that we can cast those on you. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, to have the faith to leave them on your back, to cast those robes of anxiety onto you and not take them back, but to trust you. Help us also, Lord, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, trusting that at the right time you will exalt us to fulfill your purposes and plans. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.